Welcome to the Let's Talk International Education podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Benny, founder of Top Schools. We're here for you, whether you're a parent, grandparent, a teacher, as long as you're interested in education, you're in the right place. We work hard to bring relevant, up-to-date and possibly controversial information on all things related to education. In this first season, we've invited education leaders from around the world, as well as parents just like you and I. We're pleased you found us. Don't forget to subscribe. And here's today's episode. Hi, Joanna. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good to see you. Thank you so much. I know that you're extremely busy, um, as we are. This is our, our busiest time. So, so we're here to talk about, we're going to talk about uh, a couple of different things, which is around the ideas of school readiness, training for toddlers and parent anxiety. And I know that you have a lot of experience. So just before we get into it, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and your background briefly? Sure. Yeah. So I've been working in education for 25 years now. Before that, I was working in management consulting. I loved the move into education and everything I do now revolves around education and around young people, whether it's for profit, not for profit, charity work, school work, etc. So I do have quite a lot of experience. Um, I work with children aged zero to 18. Um, my own children are grown adults. So I've also personally been through the whole process as a, as a mum. So, yeah, I feel like there are lots of things that I have to share about the whole experience of children applying for schools, um, mm-hmm. going through different changes in life, and also the journey for the parents as well, which I think mm. can sometimes be more complicated than for the child. Absolutely. And, and, and I don't know if you agree with this, but um, well, my, my children are now 14 and 15, and you're slightly ahead of me. But someone said to me a few years ago, and this resonated, is... Um, Small children, small problems, and big children, big problems. Yes, and adults, even bigger problems. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I guess hindsight is a wonderful thing, but um, we we do both, you know, deal, I, I certainly deal with parents of um, sometimes very young children, like you said, from, from zero. So so let's um, have a chat about, you know, Hong Kong. And, as <laughs> it, it's, I've been in Hong Kong for 26 years. You've been here pretty much all your life, I think. Yeah, I was born here. I was born here. And your children were raised here. Yes. As were mine until relatively recently, and I don't know if you, do you agree that? Oh well, I've never raised children anywhere else, so I genuinely don't have a comparison. But do you feel that Hong Kong is its own unique um, culture of craziness? <laughs> well, so so my children actually were raised sort of equally in Hong Kong and equally in the UK, and then my younger daughter went to college in the US. So I feel like I actually have a good idea of all three places I think they have their own individual craziness I have to say mm. in terms of private education mm. um, but yes Hong Kong is very unique in the sense that you've got a, a real merging of cultures as well right. and aspirations and all sorts of different parental pressures I think mm. and anxieties mm. as to where the children should end up and, you know, one of them obviously is based around language, for example. What, should my children just speak English or should they speak English and Chinese? And to what extent should they? All of that is a unique thing, I yes. think, to Hong Kong. Yeah, I think so, too. But I can't quite put my finger on why. Because if you if you look at Singapore, for example, it doesn't seem to be as much of a pain point as it is in Hong Kong. Do, do you have any ideas? 
Talking to Singaporean friends, I have to say, I think a lot of emphasis is put on education in Singapore as well. So I think it's mm. also pretty intense in Singapore. Mm. I don't know if the language learning seems to be smoother. It does. That's but, what I was trying to get at. For some yeah. reason, it appears that the children can acquire both English and Chinese in, with, with less, less pain than it appears to be for Hong Kong. Actually, that's true. And maybe it's, maybe it's a, a I don't know, it's to do with the government official languages, mm. the way that the standard of English is actually very, very high in Singapore. Yeah, I, I, I'm not an expert. I, I don't haven't spent an awful lot of time in Singapore myself, but I feel like the diversity in Singapore has a lot to do with it. Yes. Um, yeah, and I know that, right. I know that people say Hong Kong's diverse, but I disagree. I've looked at census and statistics data, but I think if you just look around you, it also depends on how census and statistics department collect that data and how they process that data but is Hong Kong diverse is it, is it the cosmopolitan melting pot that everyone seems to think it is I agree with you in fact I think a lot of people are surprised when they find out that 98% of the population of Hong Kong is Chinese right because I think as an expat you tend to believe that the proportion of expats is higher mm. but um, so no I don't think it is that diverse Having said that, I think a lot of the local families want their children to have a more diverse experience in their education. And that's therefore why, you know, the rise of popularity of international schools, I think, is, is a reflection of that. Absolutely. And this year, um, for reasons that we won't go into, have you seen a lot of demand from, from local families moving from local school to international school? Yes. In particular, I think over the past two years in particular, there's been some swinging of opinion as to whether to stay in Hong Kong, whether to go to the UK, and then perhaps maybe it may, might not be a good idea to go to the UK with the, you know, with the right of COVID. You get exactly with the whole COVID situation and then suddenly, oh my gosh, Hong Kong's a lot safer in terms of mm. health. Mm. But, but then again, now we're going back again to parents mm. thinking about, well, actually, ultimately, I think my child is going to end up overseas. And if that's the case, whether they go at 13, 14, 16 or to university, I think therefore parents start thinking in that case, maybe I should start preparing them earlier in Hong mm. Kong mm. by actually accessing the international school system. Yeah, yeah it's curious, isn't it? Let, let's just go back because you use the word expat, which um, I don't def- I don't identify as an expat. Um, <laughs> how about yourself? I mean, you've got an interesting background. I've heard you talk about yourself as um, Eurasian, which I thought that term had fallen out of favour. But, but if that's how you prefer to describe yourself. Yeah. It's really interesting because I get different reactions to it. So as a Eurasian, and I mm. say it proudly, actually, I think every Eurasian I know and that I'm close to, we say Eurasian. Right. And, and as a very ordinary word in our vocabulary, I know that there are connotations around that word for various reasons historically and we just mean it in its I suppose in its purest sense like my father's British my mother's Chinese mm-hmm. so I cross both cultures mm-hmm. um, my husband's also Eurasian and in fact his family is you know the five generations of Eurasian six generations now of Eurasians so I guess that's the word and the culture and what that means to us is sort of deeply embedded but it also means my children are very mixed <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think yeah and I think, you know, both of the children were born in the, in London. So we're talking pre-1997 when yeah. there were, you know, concerns about various things. And neither my husband nor I um, could give them British citizenship. 
uh-huh. unless they were born in the UK themselves. Yes, so because you UK, were not born there. Yeah, because we weren't born there. We were both yeah. born in Hong Kong. So there was yeah. that particular situation. So they were born in London, but they both came back to Hong Kong at one month old mm. and effectively had their early childhood, most of their young years in Hong Kong before they went to boarding school in the UK. Right. right. So as a, as a family that sort of crosses over, you know, two cultures and also the dilemma for us as to whether our children should be bilingual, biliterate, should we focus on English, should we focus on Chinese? My husband went through the local system in Hong Kong before he went to the US at 13 mm. and had the most enormous culture shock. Mm. I was an ESF child in Hong okay, Kong. Okay, which ESF school did you go to? I went to Glenearly. Okay. In those days it was Glenearly Junior School. Yep. And um, and then, in fact, my family moved to Switzerland for two years. So I went at the age of nine to Switzerland for two years, and then I went to boarding school in the UK. Mm. So there was all of that mm. questioning that we experienced as parents. And I think a lot of parents, whether you're mixed race or not, I think a lot of parents have the same feelings because you're trying to take the best you can from different cultures and create that environment for your children. Mm. So what did you do for your children, local so, or international? So my older daughter poor thing, went to about six different interviews, ranging from Marymount, local, mm-hmm. through ESF, to my old school, through to two or three of the international schools, because we just could not make our minds up. And in the end, we chose Canadian International School. So my right. older daughter is 29, so I'm talking... So that was the very start of the school, was it? It was. Yeah. In fact, she started school in um, the old building on Kennedy Road. So okay. we were still building the new campus. And then she moved in following January. So she actually moved in during her first year into both of my children. One was went, one went into grade one, one went into reception. Right. And um, we chose the school for various reasons. One was, you know, we loved the ambiance of the school. We, we liked the, the team in place at the time. We were very impressed by the team. But we also felt if we're going to make the choice to go into an international school, the Chinese program is strong enough mm. to at least support our goals for our mm. children. So that was the original school, and they stayed there. My older daughter was there till grade seven, younger daughter till grade six, before they both went off to boarding school in the UK. In the UK, they went to Millfield, which is a big co-ed school. Yep, the Beckham kids go there, (laughs) and a few others. Great great school. I mean, a lot of people know Millfield for its sports. They're really trying to change that. Um, Yeah, very strong in the arts, and the arts have always been important to us. And both of my girls are very arty and not very sporty, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they both really enjoyed the experience. And then my younger daughter actually came back to Hong Kong and was in the first, first cohort at Harrow International mm-hmm. in Hong Kong. So she was in the first group to graduate from Harrow. So she actually had a very mixed experience of schools in Hong Kong. Right. And, um, and then my older daughter went to university in London. The younger daughter went to university in New York. So they've experienced a lot, actually. And, and my children have had a similar mix of different schools all along the way. And it's funny, but, you know, we still meet parents every single day who are trying to decide for their one, their two, their three, their four-year-old. And they're trying to decide because they're saying, look, this is so complicated. I never want to do this again. I just want to put them in a school. Yeah. And then I know my job's done. But, you know, as a parent, your job is never done. And, you know, yeah, you're proof to that. I, I my- noticed, yeah, there's a fixation on this. Yes, food, there is. Food I, 
I really I don't, don't understand this. I don't understand it either. I, I feel like there's, well, there's a lot of infamous, misinformation out there, isn't there, um, mm. about the, the international school sector. Um, I mean, all ESF schools have a primary, or not, almost all of them have a primary school, and then you have to um, change for secondary. It's not a huge challenge. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. But in the local system, um, most of the schools, you have to do that reapplication process and yes. and um, and go to a new secondary school. But I think it's a nice idea. I mean, I always tell my parents, I think, yeah, that's a nice idea in an ideal world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it doesn't. You don't you don't know your child's strengths yet. You don't know what your child no. enjoys or what they love to do or, or anything. Actually, right. when they're one or two or three. And they change. And, you know, in my case, I think everybody knows that I sent my children to very Chinese heavy schools for their, the whole of their primary. And I, you know, the, then the focus had shifted by secondary. There was no longer a need to be in those sorts of schools because by then the, the balance of language had shifted to English anyhow. Yeah. Uh, and the culture in those schools then didn't quite jive with, with our values as, as a mm. family. So um, so my kids, my, my daughter has changed schools um, three times. Um, my son has changed schools twice, and they're yeah. only 14 and 15. They won't change again. Oh. They're definitely not changing again. <laughs> <laughs> I think something parents don't necessarily think about as well is, you know, obviously, you know, life throws different things at you along the yeah. way. Yeah. And if you're too fixated about these things, it, it's, it's overly disruptive. Whereas if you keep an open mind about education, you know, the, the whole growth mindset thing, it's actually easier for the children to adapt. And there are other factors. I remember when my, my younger daughter went from... Canadian International in Hong Kong to Millfield in the UK. Her birthday is mid-September. Mm. So we had this dilemma as to whether she should repeat a year or not. Yeah. And she was doing well at school in Hong Kong. Yeah. But luckily, we made the decision for her to repeat. Yeah. It was the best decision ever. I mean, we made the decision because we thought, well, she's going to boarding school and there's going to be a whole emotional adjustment and she's, you know, there's a whole maturity aspect. And but what it meant for parents who are academically focused, and this is something I think is interesting to share, was she went from being a good student at Canadian to being an outstanding student at Millfield. And it was mainly because she had this extra year to grow up. Yeah. Mm. So it was, you know, something well, we hadn't thought of before. Well, we have to we have those Canadian have now uh, aligned their their cutoff. Um so it's no longer the end of December. It's it's the same mm. as the UK and most schools are like and ESF mm. is still the only school system that's, that's standing firm. So I don't know. I don't know why. And um, and personally, I um, I did consider ESF a couple of different stages in my daughter's when she was in, in school here. And she's born in November. And um, I asked um, some very influential people in ESF if, if that could be um, flexible. And the answer was no. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in being older is a huge advantage. I am, too. And, and so yeah. do, you, do you hear, Joanna, do you hear this idea about the, the concept that parents say to me, but they're going to lose a whole year. Oh. And my response to that is, no, they're going to gain a whole year. Again, I don't understand this. I, the only thing I would agree with is you have to pay an extra year, which is painful. Well, there is that, but, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of the child's development, oh, my goodness. I mean, the research shows that the older children tend to do better, mm, perform yeah. better, are more mature, emotionally settled. I mean, there's so much... Research to support being older is actually more advantageous. So yeah, I'm I'm I don't understand that either. <laughs> it, it it bewilders me, and um, 
And I think in the US, there's this whole movement to keep children down, like even two years, right? So, yeah. um, but that might be taking yeah. it a wee bit far. But. I mean, I might, I might be taking this a bit too far, but I'm also an, I'm an employer. Mm. And I really notice that from, you know, a lot of the life skills and the, and the other skills that an employer is looking for in young employees or fresh graduates are not there. Mm. And it'd be nice to have, children or you know to have young people who had actually spent a bit more time in school maybe before they start working that's just I'm taking it to the next level but it's something to think about I think yeah and that's taking it well we're seeing now a number of schools in Hong Kong that they used to like to call themselves progressive but I think again that term is now outdated but some do some really interesting things in school which probably don't nothing like what we did in school (laughs) We could we could talk all day about, I think, the language piece, Joanna. We should save that for another time and come back for part two because that's such a biggie. Um, yeah. but, but if we're talking about, you know, we're now in September. So, so now is where everyone is rushing to do classes. And uh, we hear this word training quite a lot. Can, I, can you do some training um, for my children in order to pass the assessments? So, so we're collaborating on, we would never call them training. We would call, what do we call them, classes or um, some preparation? Preparation sessions or something like that. Yeah. What's your view on this this whole idea of training a child to pass a school assessment? It depends on the age. Mm-hmm. It depends on how rigid the school is with their assessments. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like most schools are not that rigid because most schools want a sense of the whole child. It's a, it's a much more holistic process than parents think most of or them. International schools, I think we should say. Froze. It's a much more. I think it's a much more holistic process than what parents think. Parents try and make it a black and white process, Mm -hmm. the whole interview admissions process, and it really isn't. Because as I've heard you say many times, and I totally agree with, it's an ongoing process, and the school's actually assessing the family and the child across a whole range of different activities, starting from the first time you submit your application. Mm -hmm. So I think parents forget that part. But in terms of training, you can't train a young child an interview you just cannot can can we say that again you can't train a child for an interview you cannot train a cannot train a child for an interview you Mm. cannot they will they may not perform as expected on the day they're not monkeys right they're not performing monkeys yeah I could tell you a funny story I don't know if I've told you this before but um one of the typical questions is that the school say, ask the child their name. And and children, my, my son said to me, I didn't want to say my name because I know that you'd already submitted the name on the application form. So why was she asking me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a bit, you know, a bit rebellious, but... Um... So he just didn't want to play the game. Thinking, you're thinking outside the box as well. You see, that kind of child would be great. But not every school would, I don't know. He was rejected <laughs> from that particular school. <laughs> declined, declined, I should say. Yeah, so so, like, so you can't train a child to pass an assessment. I mean, you see children from, from zero. Um, what kind of classes and what kind of skills are you? Um, are, are they doing with you? Yeah, I think I, what I will say is, of course, you can't train a child to pass an assessment. The reason why is because, especially for international schools, they're looking for a child that goes beyond just repeating what they've been trained to say. Mm-hmm. So they're actually mm-hmm. looking for a child with some personality, some character, yeah. something to offer of their own. That's a really That's, good point. I think yeah. it's a really important reason mm-hmm. why you can't train a child. 
And honestly, if a child robotically answers all the questions yeah. that they're supposed to, yeah. they probably won't get in anyway because they don't show yeah. the, the personality and the, and the yeah. character that the school's looking for. So I think that's quite an important thing to remember. For me, it's much more about the child as an individual. And you can't create that individual, you know, in a series of lessons or in a workshop or an intensive camp. Mm. Those lessons that that the child becomes an individual based on what they're experiencing at home. If you're, for example, concerned about English, then there are lots of English language activities that the child can do that aren't preparing them for interviews per se. They're just having fun. Mm. And it could be playing football. It could be rugby. It could be art. It could be anything. Mm. But they're surrounded with English as the medium of instruction. So they just learn it naturally. And mm. then so there's the language part. Then there's the whole confidence part. Because if you want your child to be able to go into a room full of strangers or one-on-one with a stranger and not freak out, then that child has got to be used to that experience. They've got to be able to speak to other people. They've got to be open to that. And again, you need to create the environments for that to happen. You can't just force your child to get used to that. So so this is totally agree. I know that we're on the same page with this. And, And so this is all... Sometimes we, in the office, we talk about um, common sense parenting. Mm. Um, You know, you can't separate how your child is going to, I use the word perform, which I really don't want to use, but I can't think of a good alternative. So how your child is going to be on the day of the assessment is not as a result of whichever classes that you scheduled for him or her. It's as a result of his whole life experience. And they they spend more time with the parents, uh, hopefully, (laughs) than they do at school, especially if they're half day, you know, they're preschoolers. So I just don't know how to you know, if I could, if I could shout this from the rooftops, I would. Um, but so, if you agree, and I, I think you do, so what, what do. are some of the common sense parenting tips that that and the, that we often find that parents aren't doing for whatever reason? One tip that I learnt a long time ago, which has always stuck with me, and it sounds a little bit harsh when you first say it, but I, I really believe in it, and all these years later, is you mustn't give your children an excuse to be shy. Okay, so what does that mean? So often, you know, parents say to to their child, say hello to so-and-so because it's good manners. Mm-hmm. And the child doesn't, or they hide, or they squirm, or whatever. And the parent's like, oh, well, they're shy. And then they're off the hook. And mm-hmm. that child has not gone through that process of communicating with whoever it is. And I think this is a really powerful piece of advice. Don't use shyness as an mm. excuse. Actually mm. make saying hello something required. Mm. This is a requirement. You have to say please. You have to say thank you. You also have to say hello when I ask you to say hello. Mm. And then hopefully soon you will say hello by yourself without me reminding you. Mm. Don't use that. as a, That's the a first piece of advice, which I think is really valuable to share. So make that an integral habit and part of your child's life. That's one thing. The other thing I think that's really important, and maybe doesn't happen so much now, is you've got to talk to your child about a range of different (laughs) topics. I don't mean, I I really don't mean like think of important things to talk about. I don't mean like that at all. Mm -hmm. Create that family time over dinner or whenever. Create that time where you actually just sit down and chat. Mm -hmm. People don't chat to each other anymore. Mm -hmm. Parents were just as bad. You know, we're on our phones, we're busy, we're running around, get home late, don't even see the kids sometimes before they go to bed. Mm-hmm. But it's that com- it's the conversations that we have with our children. And, you know, we're all used to the conversation. What did you do at school today? Nothing. End of. Mm-hmm. 
But so we need to think of better questions to ask to open our children up and get them used to speaking and conversing with us. Yeah, no better questions. I, I do remember that, and I've seen that a lot. A lot, a lot of children are. I, I don't know. I don't know, or, or just don't answer at all. Well, you just have to try to find different ways and better questions. Yeah. I mean, we always um, we enjoyed the family time, the, the talking time, especially now they're teenagers, even mm. more so, um, yeah. because it's how you make sense of the world, and it's how you make sense. And, and obviously, they're receiving a lot of influence. But I, I, I still firmly believe that young children are more influenced by their parents than anyone else in their lives. Right. Um, and so the, the, which brings me to the idea of the, the helper, the domestic helper, again, something not unique to Hong Kong, but, but not everywhere we invite a, a complete stranger into our homes to essentially sometimes take care of our own children. So yeah. we, we need to talk about how, you know, unhelpful helpers can be sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact remains that most of our children really love their helpers and they are an integral part of the child's childhood they really are so yes how to manage that but then we are as employers of the helper you know it, it's up to us to to set the tone and to set the rules and to um I know it's difficult I I know it's it's very difficult to to ask helpers to get invested in in the development of your child because essentially they're not they're just trying to get through the day onto the next day and they're not going yeah. to see your children when they're 15 and 25 yeah. and 35 but yeah and also for them being invested in the child, they have completely different connotations to you as the mm. parent, of course. Mm. There's cultural differences and all sorts of things. I think in terms of communication, there are some games that you can play with children because it really is difficult. You, I mean, I know this feeling when I get home from work after a, half, after a hard day and someone says, so what happened at work today? And you're like, oh, I want to talk about it, right? <laughs> the last thing I want to do is talk about it. I just want to relax. So I, I, I can see kids getting home from school. Mm. So what do you do at school today? Ugh. But you can create, you know, you can gamify it. Everything nowadays is about gamification, right? But same with children. Mm-hmm. We used to play a game, which it sounds a bit old-fashioned now, but we would talk through thorns and roses. And there'll, there'll be other words you can use. So, you know, thorns and roses is one good thing that happened today. Okay. Mm-hmm. One bad thing that happened today, mm-hmm. right? So what's a rose thing? And the good thing about a, a game like that or a conversation starter like that is immediately it's fun. Oh, let me think about that rather than this. Oh, putting pressure on me to elaborate something mm. i just need to think of one thing and what was fun today oh lunch was good or something right recess was always the answer recess, yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, it, and you, they may get it they may get stuck at yes it may be recess every day but then you can say oh then you can say well, what did you do in recess or who did you play with or whatever mm. and then one thing that wasn't so good mm. and i think something like this it sounds simple but it's actually a fantastic way of getting children to articulate and to think, right? So you think of something and then you articulate it and then whatever they articulate, you're on there. You're talking about what they have started. Mm. So it's not an interview. Mm. You know, they talk about, oh, what was a bad thing that happened? Oh, well, someone was mean to me. Mm. Okay, well, what happened? Mm. And then you're into a whole conversation on their terms and you're actually having a great discussion. So I think just having that little segue into a conversation is really helpful. Mm. That's interesting. You make me think. I've got so many things that um, I'm thinking about. On that topic, again, there's a difference between a local school. I taught in local schools for 16 years and, and an international school. And this, this, the anxiety around a child or, or even an adult knowing the right answer to certain questions. Yeah. Because 
I think we would agree that unfortunately, even today, the local system doesn't really support um, that grey zone. You know, there, there, there is an answer. It, it's not, the clock face doesn't say 2.30, it says half past two. And if you put down 2.30, you, you get a mark deducted, right? Yes. Um, and I see that a lot. I mean, you see that in the, the children that are coming on, on the, in the sessions for the preparation sessions. It's, it's really interesting. And there's this absolute fear of failure absolute fear of failure and when I say failure I don't even mean failing an exam I just mean saying as you just said giving the wrong answer mm. it's an enormous it's it's a, it's a you know the feeling of of um letting people down letting yourself down if you give the wrong answer is sad so when the children do these preparation sessions so what are the tools or techniques that your teachers use for, for getting children to give answers if they're maybe if they're shy or anxious or they just don't know what is the right answer yeah, the first thing that we notice is how few of these children are used to having a choice mm-hmm. in their answer. So, of course, I mean, what's your name? Obviously, they have a name. But even that, we will extend it further. You know, what, what's your last name, for example? Do you know your last name? Do you know anyone else's name in your family? That, that kind of thing. So we'll just try and start with something that we know they know the answer to and try and expand it in some way. Mm-hmm. And then we'll move to other topics where some opinion creeps in. Mm-hmm. You know, so what do you like to do at school? Right. Obviously, you know, what, or who do you like to play with, or what toys? What are your favourite toys? Actually, open-ended questions where they mm-hmm. actually have think about it mm-hmm. for a moment, but hopefully they have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. And then again, you can take it from there, and you can, move, mm-hmm. you know, according they they can lead that mm-hmm. conversation, and you can go down the path of them. One thing I also fight, feel is that I feel that parents think that there's a set number of questions and the children just need to memorise the answers in four sentences. Oh, <laughs> I was just about to ask you about that. We've seen that all the time, right? So you say, oh, hi, how are you? Good morning, miss. My name is Mandy. And it's, it's, it's yes. not natural for a three. It's not natural. Exactly. That's the word. It's not natural. It's too robotic. Mm. So really what we need to do is we need to get children to understand, to listen first. Mm. We don't, and not listen for, oh, is that the question about my age or is that the question about who's in my family? Right. It's about, question number two, because <laughs> I tricked you and I asked them out of order. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's the question about that thing that I just listened to and now I'm going to answer it, right? Mm. And so this is something we practice a lot, right. trying not to do these robotic exercises. But I wonder also if that is, it's a technique because the children don't actually understand an awful lot of what they are reading or speaking. Yeah. And that's something that, I mean, that that is the other language, the other topic, which is language, which we just genuinely don't have time for today. But I, I guess it's a technique. So I think what we're saying to parents is, you can't fake it yeah. right yeah and I think again with young children of course language is a barrier but it isn't really you know under fives for example when you get to about five six children become much more self-conscious and start to build barriers for themselves unfortunately but under five actually language is not a barrier I mean you know I, I work a lot with art with art and singing and dance and all of that sort of thing the medium is not the language the medium is something right. else right yeah. Yeah. And actually, if you ask a child questions in an open-ended way, then they're not self-conscious. They will communicate with you one way or another. Mm-hmm. One activity we do is we give children a bunch of shapes mm-hmm. and we say, OK, use the shapes and make a picture. Okay. And, you, you know, most children under five can make a picture. Mm-hmm. 
unfortunately, when they get to over five, they start saying, I, I, I don't know how, I can't. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fights I used to have with my husband when you get the Lego package and you start following the instructions step by step by step. I said, I said to my husband, his name's David, our, our four and five year olds don't have the patience to follow 27 steps. They just want to build something. <laughs> something, exactly. But that's a great exercise because you see the children who, you know, they take a square and they put a triangle on top and they say, this is a house. Mm. Okay, that's great. But I can tell that there's a lot of creative development that could be taking place there that isn't. Yeah. Or you have the child that takes a bunch of random stuff and goes, and then, they, and then you say, oh, fantastic. Tell me about this. And what is yes. it? And they go, oh, it's a rocket and it's yeah. going to Mars. And when, it, yeah. Yeah, and when it gets to Mars, it's going to have a probe and it's going to collect rock samples and send them back to Earth. And yeah. they are just wonderful yeah. right but those are the children who've been in an international style of preschool more than likely so, so that is and that's what yeah. it's all about right or, or the children who are come from a household that embraces yep. that yep. and then the parents they may currently be in a local kindergarten for example but the parents recognize this is my child and my child is like this and has these characteristics mm. and maybe local the local system isn't right for them Maybe yeah. I want to embrace these characteristics rather than shut them down. And therefore, yeah. I'll look at international school. Yeah. yeah. I don't believe that it's a choice of, of um, you know, allowing a, a, create, a child to express themselves creatively. I think that's definitely possible in a local school. Um, but I just think as parents, um, we would need to be more mindful that there's the risk yeah. that, uh, a local school like the teacher may not be accepting creative answers to questions for example and so everything that you do at home just has to balance it's all about balance at the end of the day yeah. I mean I sent my children to not local local schools but but schools which were relatively rigid and, yeah. and um, strict about that sort of stuff so yeah um, yeah, yeah there's interesting a, there's a lot of value there I mean I think it's very important we're not knocking local schools either not I, at I'm, all no. I, there's, there's, there are aspects of the local system that I really appreciate I appreciate the discipline and the respect and absolutely all of these yeah but I think we get that in uh, British schools as well I mean True. you know I, I've sent yeah. my children back to the UK for boarding now but um I think I, I don't know I've ultimately well they we need to see some sort of um reform in the local school system and unfortunately we're seeing it probably in in the wrong direction um but wouldn't it in an ideal world wouldn't it be what's wonderful to be able to sort of blend the two systems and, and see what happened and as i say there are a couple of private schools um more than a couple now that are, are really doing their own thing and it'd be very interesting to see to see what happens there a, a happy medium would be ideal it really would be mm. I, I i don't know if, if, how much you what you feel about this but some of the feedback i get from local school principals or leadership teams is actually we are trying to make change but it's the parents yep. who won't allow us it's the parents who demand the homework it's the parents who insist on I don't know that's an interesting comment yeah but it is about creativity uh, sorry education education of the parents yeah, um it is at the end of the day which, yeah. which Brings me to probably the last point. We're running out of time. Just want to touch on. So we talked a lot about kids and our own experience as parents. But um, yeah. were you an anxious parent at any time? I honestly don't think I ever was. My children might tell you differently because apparently I was the strictest mum at school. No, <laughs> I don't believe it. Well, I think I think you're the strictest mum until you compare notes with other mums and then you realise that every child is saying that their mum is the strictest mum. 
Yeah. No, I, I mean, I was brought up by liberal parents. Mm. And my, the mantra that I always grew up with, always try your best. Mm-hmm. That was it. You don't have to be, it doesn't matter if you're first or last, as long as you tried your best. And so I was brought up very much in a sort of, um, take, make the most of opportunities. Mm. You know, don't be lazy. Mm. Don't waste these, these opportunities that you've been given and try your best. But, you know, if you, if you fail, it's not the end of the world. If you're not first, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. If you are first, yay, we'll celebrate. But honestly, it's a temporary thing to be first because you can't be first all the time. So mm-hmm. I think from that point, and I, I think I use the same philosophy with my own children. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it's interesting because both of my girls are naturally quite driven. And, you know, I think they have, I think it's also generational. I think each generation, each generation perhaps feels more pressure. You know, I, I grew up in an era when, when you, if you left university with a degree, you had a job <laughs> guaranteed, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the world has obviously changed and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't think I put pressure on them. And my husband is very chill, very <laughs> chill indeed. I mean, you know, it's like school. Ooh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if it's more about, I, I don't know. I grew up in the UK and I was taught the same. I think if I felt there's one thing I remember that my mum taught me that's really stuck with me is if you don't ask, you don't get. Um, so, you know, just giving you, giving you some confidence, giving you some skills to make your own way. And like you say, your best, as long as you do your best, but isn't that a very sort of individualistic, um, culture? Whereas when we plant ourselves here in Hong Kong, it's, it's more of a collectivist culture because the number of times every single day I'm asked, I was asked just earlier today, um, well, how many applications does that school get um, versus how many seats do they have? Yeah. And my answer to that is, I don't know. I've never collated the statistics. Uh, my time is much better spent on helping you to identify what's the right school for your child yeah. and help you to get in. Um, and so everybody's it seems like a lot of people are always worried about everybody else. Yeah. Whereas what you've just described and what I've described, we're, we're more concerned with ourselves and how we fit into our, into the society or into the context. Whereas a lot of parents I meet, they're just so worried about everybody else or everybody else thinks, you know, I've got to get my child into one of these three schools. Otherwise I'll be embarrassed at dinner parties to say that my child is in this school, which is not considered to be the top school. Um, Peer pressure among parents is a thing. I I agree. It it really is. And I think parents work themselves into a frenzy Mm. about it. But, you know, parents are so so much more involved in our children's lives. Mm. Mm. I don't think my parents knew which universities I applied to until I told them which one I Right. But wasn't that, in a way, that worked to to your advantage? Um, Because if you've got frenzied parents, that frenzy is trickling down and the kids are picking up on that. There's a lot of pressure on children from parents. And there's a lot of self-deprecating, there's a lot of behavior among parents saying, oh, well, I'm not a tiger mum, but... (laughs) 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 But then they are. They really are. So they're recognizing that. You know, we, we recognize our behaviors. We know that we're doing certain things, but we can't help ourselves because mm. everyone else is doing it. And then we feel like we're doing like a disservice to our children because mm. it's rat race, isn't it? And if yes. everyone else is in the rat race and your child isn't, then maybe what, you know, your child's going to miss out on all these yeah. opportunities. Yeah, and you don't want to take a risk because yeah. it's your child and it's a huge decision. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, what, what do we do about it, Joanna? <laughs> In our own small way. I think balance is key. For us to seek balance, and I think we, I think we forget about the child in all of this. I really do. You know, when you have a very young child, you're given this gift of this unmolded, beautiful creature who can do no wrong, and you can do no wrong as a parent, right? And everything is possible. Well, assuming you've got the budget and you know, but everything, <laughs> everything is possible for this amazing creature and then of course as your child starts to grow up and you see what their personality is like what their character is like what their strengths and weaknesses are and yourself as a parent mm. you, you start to make a, a couple of mistakes here and there as a parent possibly and you start to think maybe I shouldn't have done that shouldn't have done that yeah. I really think at that point and I don't know when that starts I really don't it can start as young as two three I think four. it starts on day one to be honest um I mean I don't know if you remember you know, in the maternity ward, there were certain things that, I mean, for me, it was the um, the nurses that, that wanted to take the, the baby to the, the nursery. Yeah. And But instinctively, as a new mom, I wanted the baby next to me. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think it starts, I mean, we always say trust your instincts, listen to yeah. yourself, listen to your children um, yeah. to, to a certain extent, although that can go too far as well. Yeah. You know, letting a, a three-year-old dictate exactly what goes on (laughs) yeah I mean it really isn't about dictating it's about a child dictating but it's really taking the time to look at your child and see who they are as a person yeah and you know you you always talk about fit and I really agree with the the whole concept of fit Mm. you know is this really going to be healthy for my child is this really going to be the best environment for my child Mm. and one thing that I've realized having adult children is nobody cares about their GCSE results now. Nobody cares about their A-level results. In fact, nobody even cares about their first degree, really. Mm-hmm. You know, my older daughter's just done her master's, so she's sort of flushing her, her MSc at the moment. No one cares about anything before that. And no one cares where she did them either. Yeah. You know, yeah. no one cares what school she went to at this point. So mm. I, as a parent, I think it's so important to have that perspective, mm. right? It doesn't Absolutely. matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they grow up to be, you know, well-adjusted and mm. content and able to look mm. after themselves, right? Well, we, we say, obviously, I'm in the business of, of um, helping parents to find schools. That's, that's one of the things we do. So, I mean, the, the school itself, absolutely agree with you. It's not about the name of the school, the brand. Um, no one's going to care or know. So so you choose the school in as much as it is going to engender your child to acquire the sort of skills and experiences that are going to help him or her go to the next the next thing the next step exactly. so it's always a exactly. means to an end and um yeah. yeah and we want them to do well of course all parents want our children to get good grades and and all the other ideally stuff. of course yes we do. of course we do <laughs> but you know sometimes you have to accept that your child is an a grade at english and a c grade at maths or yeah. vice versa this is life that was me yeah <laughs> <laughs> remedial, remedial maths i was <laughs> we did okay exactly we're here we're fine <laughs> yeah we turned out okay um we could talk um for hours and hours um but we don't have time we should come back for part two uh i know that you're so busy so thanks for taking time out of your busy day um we'll put some links in the show notes um we've been doing these sort of preparation classes and, and sort of supporting parents to, to get ready for school uh, for about four 45 years now um so very happy to be doing that again and we'll put all of the links um in the show notes and people can register and uh 
So thanks so much, Joanna. Can I just say one thing about the the interview prep process? We talked earlier about how you can't be completely ready for an interview by doing interview prep. But where it is useful is it gives the child to experience that type of communication with different adults and with different children. And it also gives them the experience to have a mock interview, perhaps. Yeah. You know, under interview circumstances. So from that point of view, the technique of it, I think it's useful as a good practice. Yes. yes. In itself. In itself, it's, it's not, not going to. It's yes, not, absolutely. No. That's it. It's the icing yeah. on the cake. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Joanna. And Thank you. Uh, I will see you soon. Take care. Great. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Hong Kong education system and parenting and education news and trends, check out our back catalogue, all available to download for free. You can also head over to our YouTube, Facebook or website for lots of free useful information for parents and educators. Links in the show notes. Until next time.